to another Bonsai Wire podcast. Michael Hagedorn and I are sitting down and talking about growing today. We've been talking about this idea for, it's probably been close to a year, and we're finally getting together in the same space and going to have some conversations about what it looks like to grow, what growing looks like in America, and probably a couple of other topics on the way. Yeah. Excellent. You do a lot of growing. Yeah, I do a lot of growing. That's kind of how I spend my day. You have a big backyard. In fact, it's (laughs) probably not exactly a backyard, is it? No, not not quite. How many acres are you cultivating? Uh, We're on an acre and a half, and I have about half of that in cultivation. Most of them right now are still in pots, uh, but I do have about an acre set aside for ground growing. Right, right. But I'm not quite there. I did I dug dug some stuff about a year ago and wasn't quite happy with the root spread that I was getting. So I decided to put pause on that and do a little more root work um, before I get into the ground because the ground really can accelerate good and bad stuff. So yeah, I really wanted to make sure things what's, were ready to go. What's the percentage of things you have in the ground versus what you have in pause? Oh, right now, one percent, not even one percent in the ground. Uh, oh, very but, little. Oh, okay. Yeah, but eventually it'll be about ten. So not that much. So. So you really have a preference for pot grown? Yeah, I think the speed that I saw happening with the ground, um, you know, it's, it's an accelerator pedal, so if a wheel is falling off of the vehicle, <laughs> it's not going to improve by putting it in. <laughs> uh, a, a famous saying that I often often follow up with my mom about is when, when we were kids, she often said, putting the leftovers in the freezer to eat another time does not improve the leftovers. <laughs> so it's a similar idea. It's like... If the Excellent. vehicle, you got to get the vehicle in good tune before you press on the accelerator, or or you or you push forward all the problems too. You know? So staying in a in a container for a few years helps that. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah. the first couple of years to really get the root spread worked out, get get some initial trunk line worked out, and then you can put it in the ground. And then I, you know, I'm not sure exactly what other growers do, but I really see the value of pulling it out of the ground every couple of years to just. Yeah, you know, yeah. tease out roots and really to make sure that uh, you know things were set up before just letting it rip for ten years. You know? Yeah, yeah. I have a friend who's doing that. Starts a plant for two to three years as a as a young young thing and does some early uh, movements in the trunk when it's still super supple and you can do almost anything with it. Then uh, he puts it in the ground for usually no more than three years. He tells me, and then he takes it out yeah. again. And sometimes he does this process three or four times before it's ready for a bonsai pot but by that time you have that this sort of maybe what we'll be talking about there's sort of this magic um combination of both control and speed Mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah and i think that um having it in the ground it's hard to get on your hands and knees and see yeah is the nabari doing this thing is you know is the wire cutting in if i'm wiring it in the ground any of that like having it above ground every couple years to just sit on the bench and get you know, really get it up at eye level and get an idea of like what branch does need to be cut off instead of just making some big pruning decisions uh, on the ground really, yeah, it can really help to set that up a lot better than just letting it rip in the ground. Yeah, 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 yeah. So one of the things that we were talking about is an idea that you have that your hobbyist grower has uh, an advantage or two. Yeah, I've heard this from a couple of different people. Um, I... I suppose it was a year ago when Daisaku Damoto was visiting uh, Portland. Yeah. He was visiting my yard. And he said this is the case in Japan. Uh, I've talked to Jonas Dubois. He's, he's mentioned that this is 
something that he's seen over the years where the idea is that the the professional grower or the commercial grower has to put out volume and so we have to make decisions based on what my time is worth what my time can handle i have volume and i have to always be controlling that to make sure i'm putting out quality product but volume is kind of the name of my game whereas someone that's a more serious hobbyist can take the time on each individual plant so they're doing series of 25 or they're doing series of 100 versus a series of a thousand and so you know they're selling off cheaper quality stuff or lower quality stuff to the club or to selling it off for a workshop cheaply and they don't necessarily have to think economically they're they're thinking quality from the beginning right and so yeah after we talked about that sitting around coffee one day i thought no that's an interesting idea i've sort of seen it playing out but i'd really kind of like to explore the you know the nuance of that what you know what that really looks like yeah yeah so Daisaku Nomoto, you mentioned, uh, is one of the, the, the gifts that we have <laughs> to our bonsai understanding. He's, uh, he's one of the, uh, the teachers at the uh, Shohin School that Jonas and Andrew um, have here on the, on the West Coast, and he blows through town every now and then. I met him years ago um, at Boone's Yard. He is one of Boone's senpais, um, so he... Mm-hmm comes from Japan, he's a young man, he's, he's very uh, unassuming, uh, but has this wealth of knowledge and uh, is so relatable that he's, he's quite, a, quite a great teacher. But he did come through your yard and he made, he made some, uh, some comments that I remember you talked about for a while. Yeah, I think he had some really valuable uh, comments about, um, I mean, one interesting thing, and this is something that I've got to pull out and probably pull out for another podcast, Thinking Out Loud, is... You know, he said, you know, you seem to be trying to fight two fronts. You're trying to refine trees, but you're also trying to grow trees. And this is something that I really feel, you know, I really feel that deeply of like, I see there not being enough marketable material out in the world. And so I'm trying to do my best to create material. But also like my training under my apprenticeship was to refine trees and to kind of like that final mile and so kind of like really trying to balance those two out but he he noticed that pretty quickly um uh, another thing he noticed was like and this is something that i've really explored deeply in the last year he came almost a year ago of you know the amount of movement trees are getting and that it has to be a lot as the trees are so small the the movement has to be much more exaggerated and so i was giving it nice fine movement but then the tree was growing out of that fine movement and so exaggerating the movement that was that was a huge thing that that i really picked up from that from that visit was that the movement was nice but it wasn't exaggerated mm-hmm. yeah and then you're talking about a particular scale so once you move through a different scale the movement in the young plant changes as well doesn't it right yeah exactly yeah so and and some of the movement can be edited as we you know make big cuts or as we air layer or as we turn the tree in the pot to become a you know semi cascade Mm -hmm. or whatever that movement can be edited but um Mm -hmm. but really it's those initial kind of initial couple of years setting up the tree to to be the thing and so trying to think forward 10 or 15 years to what what this tree is going to become you know that's a really right Right, yeah. If you have like a, a four-inch tree and you, you put a, a series of really tight bends and curves um, into it and then put it in a large pot or into the ground, 
that and, and turn into a larger plant that could end up just being a ball of wood. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, and right. I've begun to see that. And luckily, uh, most for the most part, you know, you can if you catch that early enough, you can just keep it a really small tree. But yeah. that even even a tree in a bonsai pot is going to slowly thicken, um, and so. You know, if it's if it's right at the edge of becoming a ball of wood, it eventually will. You know, it's right. eventually get there. It <laughs> might be twenty years, but it'll eventually get right, there. Right, right. There's some plants that seem to seem to grow so slowly. Like a juniper is one of them. They, there, there's a few of them that'll that'll bulk up in a pot, and yet some others hardly seem to put on any wood at all. Mm-hmm. And then you have things like trident maples and things like that, where you can really um, bulk them up in a in a pot. I think it was Colin Lewis who said that the slower we grow a tree, the higher the quality. I think he wrote that somewhere, and I always had that in the back of my mind. Uh, but but your comment about hobbyists having um, having a different kind of time, you know, mm-hmm. a, a different um, assumption about about time uh, helps them create a different kind of tree. Right, right, and not having the pressure of you know they. A hobbyist, especially someone that's serious and someone that loves to grow, may not even be looking to create a product for most of their lifetime. You know, especially older people, they're just looking to set something up for the next generation. So they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily have the same, they're not playing by the same rules as the professional community does uh, because we have to, we have to figure out how to, you know, you know, make money or we have to figure out how to, you know, do teaching or training. And so it's a little bit of a different game. And so, yeah, it's really right. sets, sets them up to, in some ways, be able to win because they can right. take the time they need to, to make, you know, cuts sooner. Right. Right. One of the things I notice in gardens of hobbyists, um, backyard um, growers, um, is that they have a maturation of patina and the trunk to branch transitions. Uh, which, which is kind of hard to get when you grow fast. Uh, when, when you're building structure uh, quickly, um, you can mature it later. You can you can make patina with it, but it 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 tends to have to be in a bonsai pot when, when you're doing that. Right, especially you know the fine ramified twiggy growth. Yeah, until you really can slow things down, you can't. Even yeah, it, and slowing things down is a is a real hard thing with. With certain species, like I, I assumed that growing Japanese maples would be best in somewhat larger pots. You know, when I first started growing them, so like you know, made all these cuttings and air layers and whatnot. And for years, I grew them in Anderson Flats, and it was sort of like a little too late that I realized that I was growing <laughs> these really chunky plants, and I wanted elegant plants. It's oh, like sure. I, I, Anderson Flat, which is I don't know, maybe uh, several gallons of soil, was I think is too much for a lot of uh, of uh, of the, the kind of uh, gentle uh, tapers and things that sh- that some of the best Japanese maples, I believe, have, are, are, were grown in bonsai pots. They weren't grown in flats mm. or in the ground. Yeah, really having that that smaller amount of soil, the slower, you know, the Anderson flats are perforated on the bottom, so a lot of times if you set them on the ground, the <laughs> roots escape into the soil or into the bark chip right. or even into your rock and really can... Right. The tree doesn't take long to accelerate. You know, I see this in the ground where the first year when we put it in the ground, 
it grows about the same pace as the right. tree in the pot. In the pot. But right. the second, second year, year is right. like, whoa. Right. <laughs> this is not a linear growth. It's definitely right. a, a curve right. happening. Yeah, it's like that It's like that rubber band is pulling and pulling. Uh, right. and pulling. Just, <laughs> there it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's building a root system. Yeah, I've put it out uh, on social media, but I really like, uh, at Tilperion, they had above-ground grow beds. And they were... Two by six material, I think, with full of pumice. Uh, of course, we have pumice just falling out of our ears here in Pacific Northwest, but some <laughs> kind of material that the roots can escape into, but it's not quite the soil. Yeah. And then, yeah, nesting pots on or down into that to let them escape a little bit into that material really helps with, you know, nutrient and, but, you know, so it's kind of a medium between just letting, putting the ground and letting it rip versus you know, having it in a pot. So it's, it's a nice kind of middle ground, hmm. especially for the early development stuff. I, yeah, I completely agree with mm-hmm. you. When we get a little bit older, mm-hmm. we've got to slow it down even further than an Anderson. But but that grow bed is, that, that's a, a neat trick because, as you said, it's kind of halfway. And, and the second year is when plants can get away with from us, which mm-hmm. is sooner than almost, uh, including myself. I didn't think things would get away from me that fast when I first started growing plants when I got back from Japan and was growing some stock. But but what you have in that grow bed is pumice, and so you can, and it's so loose that you can lift the plant up and trim yeah, exactly. the roots, put it back down, and you have the benefit of that, that first year without the problem of the second year. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so I, some people use baskets or Andersons or bags. But yeah, I think the idea is to, to pull that up once a year, sever the roots, set it right back down. You know, it's not a whole lot of work uh, to make that happen. But yeah, it really kind of resets the root system back to the first year. And you kind of get the benefit of the first year over and over. So, so you're not creating the problems that are hard to uncreate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's a big part of the, the, the work that I'm trying to do. And to some extent, the work you're trying to do is... How do we get right? How do we skate that razor edge of we want the most development goal? We want to, you know, we want the tree to be healthy, but we don't want, you know, nine inch needles on a ponderosa pine, or we don't want, you know, extensions. We don't want internodes on a on a trident maple that are so big that they have to eventually come back off. You know, right, right, right. <clears throat> Yeah, the idea of a sacrifice branch ends up being something where we sacrifice more than the branch. Uh-huh, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. It can yeah, e- easily become that. It definitely, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, the tree shakes itself <laughs> out, it becomes right. lost. Right, 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 exactly, you lose the inside. Yeah, All exactly. that you fought for, you lose. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, going back to the Twiggy deciduous plant, uh, my teacher, Suzuki, uh, told me a story once about Hamano, who was his teacher, and Hamano was pointing at this tree. It was its developed tree. It was very twiggy. And he said, so if I cut deep on the inside and make a, you know, a strong cut on this tree, an old deciduous tree, I've just made it 40 years younger. Mm. You know, this is an interesting way to think about it. Think about your pruning tool and where you prune in terms of, of actual time. Mm-hmm. You know, how long is it going to take you to grow this thing back <laughs> to get back to out where there? It was. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, but yeah, you know, in early development, all we do is cut hard, and it's 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 in the service of creating good structure. If we don't cut hard, then often you know we're going to fail. We're, mm-hmm. we're, gonna, right. we're not going to make that straight trunks, straight branches. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that you know that that, that keeping the 
the the cart behind the horse. <laughs> it's a good thing, you know. Don't, sure, it, yeah. It, it's it's tricky to do both, but it, it, it can work. So um, let me try to describe this. If you're in a bonsai pot, you still you have a tree that that doesn't have everything that you want. Maybe you want a thicker trunk on it, but you also don't want to lose any ramification that it might already have, for instance. So you're trying to change a tree that that has. Uh, some qualities you like, such as the refinement, but you also want to do something else to it, so you grow a leader off the top or something like that. So, so then you're then you're skating that knife edge that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to do both at the same time. A little right, bit tricky, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's interesting. Uh, Daisaku-san said that one thing he mentioned when he was in the yard was that Americans like to grow, uh, like on a trident. Uh, they like to grow the branch to be thick and then cut it really hard back and and then develop the ramification. He said in Japan you often see the ramification happen and then the extension of the ends of all of the branchlets grow out those long to fatten the branch itself. And he said it's funny to see the difference in how Americans think about this and how Japanese think about it. And obviously the Japanese have had a lot longer to... Yeah. You know, work through the great, details. Great example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, but, I've used that technique, and I, I prefer it, the, the the second one, the way the Japanese are doing. Yeah, it. exactly. Is a, a better one. You do two things at the same time. Yeah, and the the issue is that if you do it the way we typically do it, then you know species that don't back bud, you have to graft, or you have to figure out how to get you know inner branching to to happen. You have to rebuild that inner branching rather than kind of building that naturally. Now, the the biggest downside is that. Yeah. It's a lot slower. It's a lot slower to bifurcate early and soon. And true, true. But I think the transitions are better. Oh yeah, oh, from, yeah from the yeah. thicker part of the branch to the thinner the part of the branch. It it's more natural mm-hmm. when you grow that extension off uh, the tip while you're creating your ramification on the inside. Right, cut right. back to a branch that you've already developed something. There's something different there. Yeah. Uh, I think it's because when we cut back a strong branch hard without anything being back there. The branch panics. Mm. This is one way to think about it. And it throws out something with a long internode. Right, but if right. you've created your twigging on the inside, it already has these short little internodes. Mm-hmm. And it already has a pathway. Um, so that might be why the Japanese prefer it. But at least the, the aesthetics are in the, the camp of, of what they're doing. Right? Yeah, they're, absolutely. They're getting, absolutely. That's the win. Yeah. yeah, and this is something I learned in your yard is that, you know, if we have a dozen growth points on a branch then the energy is split between them. So so if we had a one big branch and we have, you know, a 12x amount of energy going through that when we make a big cut, then that yeah, that's when it's going to send out a bunch of little branches with really long internodes because it's got so much energy. Right. And so one way to slow that branch down is to, you know, to increase in points of light <laughs> that that it's having to spread out over, right. you know, to really create that ramification instead of you know getting these long right. inner nodes long you know a right. bunch of branching happening right and once you have that inner twigging then you make your big cut because then it's yeah it's going to be slowed down a little bit yeah exactly exactly right right so um to talk about bones that grown very slowly maybe in a backyard with that you know, infinite amount of time that hobbyists have is so wonderful. <laughs> Grown from a seedling or a cutting. I have a, I have a few trees now in my yard, the three or four that I know were grown from two, three-year-old seedlings um, and cuttings. Uh, a couple of them were grown almost 70 years ago from cutting. Mm. It, from this country, they're not imported. Um, 
And there, there's literally no chance of replicating that. But what they have, what those plants have, fast. Right, um, right, right. You can only replicate it if you start a seedling or cutting. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you get this uh, from, from somewhere else, you know, maybe as a, as a somewhat younger plant, but, <laughs> but something that has that um, almost a break, I would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, 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 a bonsai pot. Um, so just to talk about, you know, speed of growth, the fastest is in the ground. Right. The next right, right. fastest is a large pot on the ground. Maybe mm-hmm. the, the next slowest I say, is, is that large pot on a bench. And then the slowest is going to be a small pot on a uh-huh. bench. And even faster than in the ground is unconstrained in the ground. Because some people I know oh. just put a plant in the ground, in the soil, and ah. let it go. And then constraining it in the bag oh, right, in the right, ground. Right. There's another one. Yeah. yeah. And then... And then your pot. How much does that slow it down? Uh, I don't think it does a whole lot of. I I think they're probably pretty similar for three or four years, but then the bag in the ground hits a wall because the the available soil to the root system is gone. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, you probably do. If you if you looked at them three years on, you probably couldn't tell, but at five years, you probably start seeing the one in the ground that sent out big roots really going hard cut and so yeah if you're cutting them out you know if you're cutting them out every three years anyway maybe it doesn't matter huh. yeah. the removal is definitely easier you know i often can just pull them up by hand if it's in a bag <laughs> wow as opposed to you know wow i think so uh, what's a percentage that that'll have an escape route a big one um uh, a big escape route in three years nothing will nothing yeah so regardless of species yeah i have seen trident maples find holes in a sewn seam of a bag right i have seen scots pines do that but otherwise everything is you know every root that escapes is this is the thickness of a pencil line or or maybe twice that size so it's really not much so it's going to take a few years for that to but you know, you fast forward to trees we dug at Telperion post fire, and right. you know there were leg-sized Scots pine roots that were <laughs> had escaped out the corner, and wow, <laughs> you know, or trident maples also, you know, moved that much. But huh. but generally, yeah, I don't see okay. movement going through a, a bag very much. Interesting. So it it almost you would almost believe that nothing, no good can come from that. But I I look at two trees that once on on the ground in a pot next to a ground grown tree in a bag and they're t- it's twice the size in two years you know so so you have to believe that some sort of nutrient water warmth something is being transferred through that hmm. so for a backyard hobbyist what would the percentage of pot grown versus some version of in the ground grown be if if they were to if they were to be experimental in, with uh, with these techniques. Yeah, I think I think in a perfect setting, you know, you you would probably have a third in the ground and two thirds out of the ground, and sort of have things on mostly a three year cycle, rotating out rotating of out of the ground into a pot. Yeah, got it. So maybe you're in the ground for a couple of years and out of the ground a couple of years, and you kind of, you know. Two thirds of the collection are always out of the ground, huh. and then some things are being put back in to accelerate after a year or two. 
Because I think, yeah, I think if you're not in the ground for two years, you probably don't get the benefit of being in the ground. So I think at least two years or maybe three year stints in the ground. And then pull them out and that really throws the brakes. Right. And then it kind of, it you know, that first year you throw the brakes, then it kind of recovers from that the second year and then it can go back in the ground. And then you begin to then talk about maturation once you get it out of the ground the final time. And yeah, exactly. You've a point where, where you feel some, some people sort of hit a wall at a certain point. Um, yeah, I think, you know, if we talk about the, you know, the serious grower, uh, you know, weekend warrior type of grower, we, I think there probably is some point in which most of them, you know, are getting the advice of a professional or, you know, if we think about a tree, you know, once you get to 75 or 80% of uh, ready for a show, I think that that's when a professional can really step in and, and make some, help make some big decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as like refinement, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously having the hand of, of of someone that understands the whole process in from the beginning to help mm-hmm. not have to fix problems, but set trees up to not have problems is, I think, ideal. Mm-hmm. But then I think at some point the professional community is yeah. is there to like really pull that tree into like final readiness. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So some of these. Techniques that we've been discussing in the ground or in a large pot uh, or on top of a grow bed, they probably they probably save a percentage, right, of, of time because it bonsai is all about time, and we don't need it to be any any slower. Oh, right, right. <laughs> it is already right. And the the third, 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 you know, a third in the ground, a third just come out of the ground, a third ready to go back in the ground. I think uh, you, you know, also looking at actual numbers i think if if a hobbyist Hmm. you know can have there's that's a fine line of like how many is too many to take care of but then how many is so little that you're you're loving them to death (laughs) but to figure out what that number is for people of like we don't want you to be overwhelmed by the work but but what amount of work especially in the beginning can you handle you know can can you handle yourself really t- to do that attention and then i think you know same as um i'm wanting to do people uh, i would encourage people to you know if you can take care of 100 black pines the first year by the second year then you you can't take care of 100 anymore so you have to cut the flock down a little bit and then by the time you're decandling in 5 years and getting branching set up or 4 years then you can't you can't decandle a hundred black pines. You have to you have to refine that number. And as the branches get more refined, and you're you're fine wiring black pines, you know you maybe you maybe by that time your crop is to ten or eight. Yeah. And so yeah, trying to like getting the help to to figure out you know what quality we're looking for, how to cull the crop, how to figure out what's you know what's the best thing to push forward. I think is a big. Um, that's a big skill set to figure out, you know, how to do that. But then initially having enough where you're not just loving things to death. Um, because yeah, that's a big one. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, the knife cuts both ways. It's like yeah, it how many of us started with yeah. collections that were way too big to handle? How many, you know, how many people... Everybody's getting, hands go up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How many hobbyists started with way too many trees? But then, you know, you meet, you meet in the middle somewhere there. Like... <laughs> I was just listening to a Bonsai Q uh, video. I don't know if you're familiar with them. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, he goes around and, and meets the number of professionals, but 
I was just listening or watching one last night on YouTube, and they he mentioned that he buys all of his trees from uh, hobbyists, uh, all of his stock, and he's probably buying. I mean, just looking at them, probably five year old or eight year old uh, junipers and pines, white pines, black pines, and there are specialty. Uh, specialty white pine growers especially that are commercial growers but for the most part he mentioned that um, as a commercial nursery he relies heavily on backyard hobbyists wow that's that's uh that's amazing yeah it's pretty interesting right it's wow actually i hope most of what we've said here will will give people courage uh, about what they're doing in their backyard yeah exactly (laughs) yeah and uh one thing i mentioned uh i in the conversation i have with daisaku-san was he mentioned that he um, he develops people like he helps people develop their growing skills? Ah. That's one of the big things like yeah. um, that he does is he yeah. has yeah. quarterly, seasonal, or monthly seasonal get-togethers with a core group of people, huh. and they have their own collections. But then they also take parts of his collection home. So he teaches you know he teaches them how to carve deadwood, and then he sends them home with five of his junipers. And so there's a little bit of like back and forth between, you know, this core group of a dozen people that he really works to develop. You know, they're using his expertise. They're using his, uh, you know, I can water on the weekends, the weekdays, the mornings, the evenings. I can keep things frost protected, different than someone that has a nine to five job. But, you know, the skill that he's using is he's training people to use this, his, the skills that he teaches to try to further along the trees that he doesn't have the time and energy to work on. You know? Yeah, yeah, wow. Kind of adjunct uh, gardens to... Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah exactly. Interesting idea, yeah. Yeah, so in addition to the, like, refining um, teaching yeah. part of it, he's yeah. really doing, you know, yeah. the, from the yeah. beginning. Yeah. I have a couple clients who who have beautiful old trees and and yet love working on really young stock and Mm -hmm. um i think the work they do is spectacular you know they just they uh they're really attentive um take their time they take the uh, inside the ground outside the ground all that stuff really seriously they do all their own carving it's just just gorgeous work yeah i've seen some of the work and it's amazing you know i'm i'm always blown away by viewing finished work finished trees but I constantly am coming back to like I just love the the young stuff the development stuff the and I, yeah I think there's a lot of hobbyists that are kind of in that that era of like they love the finished art piece but it's the creation that's you know the hands-on thing yeah that's great yeah yeah great well thanks for chatting today this was amazing yeah absolutely a lot of fun <laughs> thank you Today's podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check them out at www.sessions.blue.